Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people, loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. This morning, I'd like for you, if you would, uh, to pull out your Bible or the Bible in the pew. And uh, as you can see, there's two different Bibles in the pew. There is a brown Bible and there's a blue Bible. Uh, the blue Bible has very small print, so if you've got good eyes, that's for you. Um, but honestly, if you don't have a Bible um, or you know someone who doesn't have a Bible, take it. This blue Bible is for you or for that friend. Um, we want to be generous to you, and we want to spread the word of God. And so this is for you. Take it. Um, and and use it uh, and read it and so I'd like for you to open up to John chapter 20 um, there's a lot of scriptures up there um, and most of them will be on the screen as we move forward this morning but John chapter 20 uh, verse 19 through 22 and then we're going to skip to 24 and 26 and uh, as you're doing that um, we've been on uh, just this, this adventure of called Exposed um, this month. And I'd like to ask you a question, a couple questions. And yes, you're going to answer them. And so the first question is, what is the most courageous thing you have done in your life? The most courageous thing that you have done in your life and the second question is not on the screen, but what are you most afraid of? What is the most courageous thing you've done in your life? And what are you most afraid of? And what I'd like for you to do is take two or three minutes to the people next to you. Uh, if you need to mask up, feel free. But I want you to answer these questions. So, ready? Discuss. Go ahead. Take a minute or two and discuss. Share that answer. Let's come back for a moment. I'm very curious. I'm not, I'm not going to ask that you answer them out loud to everybody. But I am curious. I asked you two questions. Um, and, and this is just for my curiosity. This doesn't going to apply to the sermon in any way, shape, or form, I don't think, at least. But uh, I asked you two questions. And I asked the first question, what was the most courageous thing you've done in your life? And then I asked you, what are you most afraid of? How many of you answered... What are you most afraid of first? Please raise your hand. To, please raise them high. Raise them high. Let everybody know. All right. There's a few of you. Not what I expected. Awesome. Thank you. That's great. We're going to come back, and I've got another question for you towards the end of the sermon that we're going to answer. But I'd like for us to go right into John chapter 20 verse 19 through 22 I'm going to put my grandpa glasses on hey shimmy all right so 
John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, by the way, uh, when, the do- when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. Hopefully he didn't have onions or garlic. He breathed on them. That is pre-COVID, by the way. Wow. Jesus breathed on him. Wow. Man, CDC would have a problem. <clears throat> and, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. We're going to jump over to verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, which actually means twin, uh, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Skip down to verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Father, we ask that your word teach um, and that your Holy Spirit convict and move and shake and shudder and just awake us. Lord, and we ask that your word of God does not just merely inform us, but transform us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It was Resurrection Sunday. It was the evening of Resurrection Sunday that this took place. And uh, at this point, there were 10 disciples that were gathered around the room. John, who is a disciple of Jesus, who was called three years before, who's the brother of James, who's the business partner of Peter and Andrew in the business of fishing. He's the one that wrote this narrative, the book of John. It's pretty creative in naming it the book of John, right? But he's the one who wrote this narrative, and he was the one that witnessed all these things go down. He witnessed Jesus' arrest. He witnessed the trial of Jesus. He was actually at the foot of the cross, as Jesus took his last breath. And he was the one, along with Peter, that saw the empty tomb. He was the one that saw Jesus resurrected in resurrected form several times. And he was the one that watched Jesus kind of do that astronaut-y thing and go behind the clouds and go to the right hand of the Father. And he was the one that was experiencing the Holy Spirit 10 days later when Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came down and became dwelled in the heart of of mankind John witnessed it all he saw it all he experienced it all and now he's looking over his shoulder and he's writing this narrative John chapter 1 all the way to John chapter 21 and he's telling this moment on the about the evening of resurrection Sunday which is to be a joyful day right I'm stoked for Easter Sunday because man alive, we're going to celebrate. We're not only celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we're also going to be celebrating some folks that are coming back for the first time in well over a year because it's been a year. 
This Sunday was, I believe, our first Sunday that we partnered with the Wapak Athletic Club and had a drive-through service on their property. It's been a year, a decade of a year, right? So John's telling this story, and he doesn't want us to miss some things. One, he wants to make it very clear that it was only 10 of the 12. We obviously know that Matthew records that Judas had betrayed Jesus, and after the rest, the arrest of Jesus, he felt remorse. He went back to the Sanhedrin, gave them the 30 shekels of silver back, and then he hung himself. He's no longer a part of the 12. Now there's 11. And Thomas, Didymus, isn't there. But see, John wants to make it very clear to those that are reading this narrative that not only are there 10, but those 10 are gathered together not because of joy, not because of comfort, not because of convenience, not because it's a party, and not because it's a Nazarene thing to gather with food, because that's what we do. Man, we love food. It's none of that. In fact, this gathering of those 10 men and possibly several of the women that had been following Jesus in that inner circle, that this occasion is marked by fear. Fear. That is what's enveloping and shrouding these 10 men. Notice how he said, for the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Now I want to make it very clear. John is not talking about the, the whole entire race of the Jews. He's talking about a specific group of people, the religious elite, the pious churchgoer that looks down on everybody's nose, uh, through their nose at everybody, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the high priests, these men who have power and wield the power, these men who actually turned the flywheel of murder and execution, who had the people in the palm of their hands, who infiltrated Jesus' inner circle and pulled Judas out, but also manipulated the Roman government, Pontius Pilate. These men were powerful, authoritative, and they were sly. And Peter, James, John, Andrew, Simon, Thaddeus, Nathaniel, Philip, all of them, they locked themselves in because they knew that those that wielded the power and turned the wheels of murder and execution to their rabbi and their leader to remove him would come for them as well. This is a moment shrouded in fear. There's a dichotomy between fear and courage, isn't there? And there's a contrast here because no less than 72 hours, 72 hours before this, there were some very emphatic and very serious declarations that were made, courageous declarations that were made by these very men, particularly 
Peter. In fact, on the night of Jesus' arrest, Peter himself declared, he said, even if Andrew, my brother, my flesh and blood, should fall away, even if James and John, the two guys that I know, that I fish with, even if they fall away, even if any of the rest of them should fall away, I will not fall away. And in fact, he says, even if I have to die with you, even if I have to go to prison along with you, I will not disown you, I will not deny you. But what's really interesting is that's what the rest of them said. We often give Peter a bad rap. But all of them, all of them said it. What a contrast. This courageous declaration, 72 hours before this. 72 hours later, we have all of them in locked doors. And let us not forget, when Thomas shows up a week later, they're still behind locked doors. They're still fearful. They're still filtering life and the experience of the resurrection, the experience of the cross, all through fear. Because what happened to him could happen to us. This is a crisis. And it's really interesting how our words come back to haunt us. Because just hours after Peter and the rest of the men, the disciples, said, I will not fall away, I will not leave, I will, I will go to prison, I will even die for you. It's really interesting when you read the story in Matthew, my Bible, you can see it on both pages. Literally, I will not deny you, I will not, I will die for you. And on the other page, it says, then all the disciples deserted and fled. Less than a page, you read it. And the disciples deserted and fled. And Luke clues us in. He said that Peter followed at a distance. Contrasting when Peter just immediately gave up everything and followed Jesus by the side of the lake. Now Peter was following at a distance. Crisis. Crisis in all of the disciples. Last week we talked about how the crucifixion of, of Jesus Christ exposes the heart of God and the heart of all humanity. But when the pressure hits the hinges, when crisis comes, it also exposes the heart. See, our life and actually this spiritual journey, we often use the metaphor of how it's a marathon, right? It's the long game. It's not the short game. It's, it's, it's the long game. It's a slow cooker type of thing, right? But see, when it's in Christ, when things are in crisis, crisis is this exponential moment that it's actually the sprint and it's the microwave moment because crisis, what crisis does is it pulls the curtain away and exposes everything that we try to hide. Have you ever been in a crisis moment in your life? I am sure that you have. We have officers in here. 
We have military in here. And if that isn't enough, we have human beings in here. And there's always crisis if you're a human being. If you haven't faced one recently, you will face one soon. And if you're not in one now, be prepared because one will happen. Crisis has a way of exposing us. Actually, about almost 20 years ago, it was about 17 years ago, a crisis hit my family. Excuse me. Crisis hit my family. Chaos was created. Um, Wounds were just slashed open. Hearts were hurt. Family was divided. And I remember the youth pastor that I worked under, Big Don, who is my friend, my, uh, at the time he was my colleague, um, he was my mentor, and he actually officiated Amy and I's wedding. He stood in the kitchen of my parents' house and he looked me dead in the eye and he said, crisis reveals a person's heart. I texted him yesterday as I was thinking about this sermon I said, hey, do you remember standing in the kitchen and telling me this? He was like, no, I had no idea. I said, well, you did. And uh, I said, I want to thank you for speaking into my life when you didn't even realize you were speaking into my life. Crisis reveals us. It reveals your true character. It reveals the greatness that you are. It reveals the goodness that you are. It reveals the not-so-good it reveals the selfishness and it reveals the sinfulness. It reveals the substance of your belief and your faith. It reveals your health and well-being or your lack thereof. Truly, crisis rips open your chest cavity and allows you a glimpse into your true self. Martin Luther King said the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in comfort and convenience, but where he stands in challenge and controversy. There's a quote I've held on to for a very, very long time. But it's easy to stand for something when it doesn't cost you anything. Isn't it? It's easy to stand for something when it's not inconveniencing you. It's easy to stand for something when you're, or it's easy to, to stand for something when, 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 you're not, when you're comfortable, right? But crisis reveals truly where you stand and what you're holding on to, who you trust and who you do not trust and what you've put your trust in what you're holding on to. I've seen people in crisis who they begin to hold on to items in their life because that's the only thing that they can hold on to. Everything else is chaotic, but those pieces or those items, those are the only things they can hold on to crisis reveals you, exposes your heart, it exposes your true self. And here we have a moment when the 
pressure was on the hinges for the disciples. What they said is now being challenged. Even if I'll fall away, I will not. I will die for you. I will go to prison for you. Crisis. Fleeing. What is the true substance of their faith? What are they truly holding on to? They're faced with themselves now. They're faced with their heart. When Peter denied Jesus three times and Jesus locked eyes with him on that third time, he broke. He broke. He wept. Exposed before the Lord, but also to himself and understood where he truly lied. What crisis are you in? What crisis have you been in? Have you revealed, have you seen your true self and who it is? The substance of you? So, now, can I ask another question? Question time. Yes. So, I'd like to ask you, what is the most courageous thing you can do in your life? What is the most courageous thing you think you can do in your life? Remember, that means what courageous thing you've done is not the most courageous thing that you can do, okay? So, ready, set, go. Two minutes. Give you two minutes. What is the most courageous thing you think you can do in your life? Obviously, this is a very hypothetical question because we have somebody over here that says, I'd fight an alligator. I love it. Man, that's bold. Brash. Brazen. So, uh, <laughs> so ever since, ever since the, the series Band of Brothers, the miniseries Band of Brothers uh, became really popular, um, and it, it's, it's the series that has been done uh, off the book Band of Brothers by Stephen E. Ambrose. Ever since that was released, I've had friends in my life who have texted me and said like pictures of the book and said hey are you a writer um hey i found your book and i'm like there's a picture on the back of the jacket you know this isn't me right (laughs) um and what's really fun and interesting is when i meet new people and i tell them my name some people who are readers they'll kind of look at me they'll squint their eyes they'll kind of turn their head and furrow their brow and like where have i heard that name and i can just wheels are turning and yes, I've had people ask me, are you an author? And I, I just answer with, I'd be glad to sign the book if you'd like me to. <laughs> and then I say, I write under the pseudonym of E, Stephen E. Ambrose, and my middle initial is H, not Stephen H. Ambrose. It just, you know, and they're like, oh, I said, no, 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 not really. We laugh and it's a whole thing, right? Um, but... Um, I know Stephen E. Ambrose is not Stephen H. Ambrose, and I know Stephen H. Ambrose is not Stephen E. Ambrose. However, and we're brothers from different mothers, um, but we are entirely connected in a very keen and odd way, a very personal way, actually. It was uh, a weekday or a weekend, I don't remember which, but I walked into the Greene County Library, um, 
Xenia Green County Library. And I walked in and right by the counter is a bulletin board on the other side. And I looked at the other side because my, I caught the name and it was, it was Stephen E. Ambrose. And then there was the birth date, D-O-B, and the death date, D-O-D. And I stopped dead in my tracks. And my mind isn't reading that it's Stephen E. Ambrose. I'm, my mind's feverishly computing that this is my, like, this is my death, my birth and my death. I am looking at homage to my life. I was born and now I'm dead, but I'm standing right here face to face with this bulletin board having this like epiphany moment. And I'm somewhat freaking out on the inside because I know I'm alive. But the reality is there's my name and I'm dead. And there's the dash in between the two dates, right? I know that my birth was definitive. Then I realized, I know my life is definitive, or my death is definitive, right? I will end. I will have a last breath. But then I looked at the dash, and I was like, man, is that definitive? Am I already dead because I'm not living? You have that whole conversation in your head, right? Erwin McManus said this, that death is not supposed to be in front of you. It's supposed to be behind you. The only thing that's supposed to be in front of you is life. Let me repeat that. Because I don't think you got it. Death is not supposed to be in front of you. It's supposed to be behind you. The only thing that's supposed to be in front of you is life. See, we talk about Jesus' crucifixion as if it was his death. And it is. It theologically and physically is his death. I'm not going to preach heretic here. I'm not going to be a heretic. He physically died on the cross. But I want to tell you that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is the summation and the fruit of Jesus Christ dying daily to the Father's will. And more importantly and more specifically, dying to the Father's will in the Garden of Gethsemane when he wrestled. His death on the cross is fruit of every day that he died to the will of the Father. And I wondered if Peter thought, man, it would be so valiant, so noble to die alongside of Christ, fighting for what we believe in. In this day and age, we call that a martyr, right? But what Peter didn't understand is what Jesus knew. That Jesus had already died to the will of the Father every day. And that the only thing in front of him when he got to the cross was life. The only thing in front of him when he was buried in the grave was life. Because death wasn't in front of him, it was behind him the whole time. Life was in front of him. Peter didn't get it. The disciples didn't get it. 
I mean, Peter even had the conversation, Lord, we left everything for you. What else is there for us? I think we often think that the cost of our faith is possessions and sometimes friendships and relationships or a job or a bank account. But see, that's, that's not the cost that Jesus is, is calling us to. He's saying your faith has a higher price. He's saying your faith in him, the cost is greater than you know. See, when they were behind locked doors, they were fearful. They were trying to hold on to something that should be dead already. Fear has a way of doing that in our life. We try to hold on to things that should be dead already. They should be behind us because life should be in front of us. And if we die, if we die to it, then there's nothing that this world or crisis can do to you that can't be done because it's already dead. And the only thing in front of you is courage and life. So, have you died already? Have you died already? But see, it's not about dying once. Because if you think you're going to rest on that day that you received Jesus Christ way back in, in the day, don't rest on that. See, Paul calls us a living sacrifice. What do living sacrifices do? They can easily get up off the altar. Right? Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny, deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Even Jesus said it was a daily decision. It's not just once. You die daily. So if you think you've died, think again. Sometimes the flesh has a way of healing itself. Right? Once you die, there's nothing the world or a crisis can do to you because you will face it with courage and fear. That's the relationship there, right? Once you're dead, you're living, you're alive, you're well, and you can face things head on with courage and life. Because notice what Jesus said when he came. He said, peace be with you. And he breathed the Holy Spirit in them. And he said it twice. And the third time, the next week, he said, peace be with you. Because he knew that they were at unrest. Because they hadn't figured it out yet. Death is supposed to be behind you, not in front of you. Life is in front of you. Grab a hold of it. That's the difference between fear and courage. So, what do we do with it? What do we come to? Well, one, we've got to be, be, be self-aware in crisis. If crisis reveals you, you've got to take note of you in crisis. And sometimes that comes from the outside. But sometimes it's perceptive on the inside. How are you reacting? How are you treating other people? 
How are you treating yourself? What are the thoughts that continue to go on in your head like a broken record? What are the unhealthy behaviors? What are the healthy behaviors? When do you just get triggered? These are all things that can move you in the direction of health if you're aware. Most people are not self-aware. 70% of people cannot identify the emotions that they feel. Be self-aware in crisis. It will be insightful to you. And if you allow it to, you will grow exponentially out of that crisis. Develop courage by doing the courageous. Folks, the difference between someone who's courageous and someone who's fearful isn't the absence of fear. It's the person who's courageous is the one that does it even in fear, right? And the only way you get courageous is by doing courageous things. So the most courageous thing that you can do in your life is die. That's the most courageous thing you can do. You can die to whatever it is that you need to die to. That's when life happens. That's the most courageous thing you can do today and tomorrow and the rest of your life. Choose the hard, hard and godly ride over the easy and worldly wrong. Folks, in this world today, when we, you can no longer say do the right thing. Because doing the right thing in one person's eyes is doing the wrong thing in another person's eyes. And honestly, what may be right in the world's eyes is not right in God's eyes. So we got to be discerning. we got to discern if this right thing is a godly thing. But I can tell you, the godly thing is always the hard thing. Most often, those things of the world, the easy things, the, are, are those things that are the wrong thing. Water goes to the, to the least resistance. That's the way culture goes. Choose the hard and godly right over the easy and worldly wrong every time. When you begin to do that, you begin to do the most courageous things you can do in your life. And that helps you die to yourself. And last, cut the cord. Cut the cord to earthly treasures and store up heavenly treasures. Now, this is not a tithing moment. This is not an offering moment. We hold on to things way too much. We got to cut the cord between what our heart is attached to the world. When you can cut that cord, you become so much more free because it is for freedom that Christ died that we may be free, right? So when you cut the cord to earthly treasures, you begin to realize that you are a citizen of heaven and you operate in the world way differently. You see the world way differently. And you love the world way differently. So, what's the most courageous thing you can do? Start here. Do the most courageous thing. Die today. Preside over your own funeral. I know that's morbid. But in my head, it makes sense preside over your own funeral because on the other side of it is life would you please stand bow your heads just for a moment heavenly father
We're all in different places, but we all come from the same place. You. And we all have in common this thing called the human experience. And in the human experience, we, we experience those high moments and those low moments and everything in between. But ultimately, the human experience can only be experienced when we are with the one who created humanity. That's when we become whole. That's when we become complete. So if you're in this room and or you're listening online and you're hearing my voice and you feel disconnected and jarred and jaded, I just want you to know that there is life that you can experience in Jesus, the one who is life, the one who brings life, the one who creates life. He is the author of life. And if that's you, and you just want that, I'm just asking that you give him that. If you want life, you gotta give him your life. And this morning, I just ask that you sincerely give him your life. So will you pray this along with me? Jesus, I give you my life. I give it to you. I give you my life. I recognize that you are Savior, that you are God. and that I need your forgiveness. Jesus, I give you my life. This is the beginning of the discussion, by the way. This isn't all that needs said. But if you've given him your life, you will experience that in this moment, and you will experience that through the rest of your days. If that's you, if you... If you if you gave him your life today for the first time, you've not, I'd ask that you just raise your hand. All right. Amen. Father, for those of us that are living life as if we're the living dead, Lord, I just want life ahead of me. I just want life ahead of us. So Lord, help us do the courageous thing. Help us choose the hard right over the easy wrong every time. Help us cut the cord to the earthly treasures that are connected to our heart. That way we may be storing up for us treasures in heaven and realize that our citizenship isn't here. And Lord, help us become aware of ourself and our faith and the substance of ourself. Whether we're in crisis or out of crisis. Lord, help us be courageous people. Empower us to do that by your spirit. Lord, we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ today. Amen. Folks, we love you. We're excited to be in your life. Thank you for allowing us to invest in you. Will you love 
the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And will you please love your neighbor as yourself. Have a good day. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Wapaknaz podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.